It's week two and start number two for Josh Dobbs. He needs to be better, and the expectation is he will be. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Danny Sarek joins me. We discuss what Dobbs had to say Wednesday, where he and the offense can improve, and ask, was last week a one-off for the defense? First, though, we need to know, did Danny steal anything from the White House during her tour last week? It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 672, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a five. He's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. So we did not bring this up a week ago at this time because, well, we didn't want to let anything out and perhaps maybe jinx something special for Danny on Saturday in Washington, D.C. But now it's after the fact. I'm excited, very jealous, but why don't you let everyone know what you did the day before the Cardinals played the Commanders? So since it was an East Coast game, instead of traveling on Saturday, we traveled Friday night. So we had all day Saturday because I didn't have to go cover the walkthrough Saturday. Some people in our department did. I was not one of them. So that morning... Uh, Kyle Deroni, one of our videographer, editor, producers, has a childhood friend who works for the Secret Service. So he hooked our group up. A few of us went and we got a tour of the East Wing. It's a tour that anybody can do, but it was very cool and very easy walking in with Kyle's friend who knew everybody. And so he knew the people that were working the tour in all of the rooms. So they gave us a, you know, a little spiel and all that kind of stuff. And it was it was very cool to walk down the hallways and see all the different photos and the official portraits and learn the history behind the rooms. We got to go in the room where they do the Medal of Honor ceremony and we saw the movie theater, which I learned becomes the coat check room on big, you know, when they okay, have big yeah. events and, and stuff. So that was that was pretty neat. And then part of our group had to go cover walkthrough and those of us that didn't, we stayed and we did some more sightseeing. You know, we saw the World War II Memorial, Abe Lincoln. Uh, we went to the Smithsonian, which I had never done before, which was so cool. I mean, you could be in there all day. Um, so we had a lot of fun. And then, unfortunately, we cut our sightseeing a little short because of the weather. It started to, to rain and storm, so we went back and took a nap real quick because we had to wake up what was 4 a.m. for our body clock time, Phoenix time, to get ready and, and get to the tour. So then we just went and watched college football. But that was a very cool experience that we got to take part in in Washington, D.C. I have not done Washington, D.C., and that is certainly on the list of things to do, especially the sightseeing part, because you're right. You can spend days, weeks, just in certain places, making sure you visit all the key spots, monuments, museums. But the White House tour, now, yes, everyone is able to participate but it was a smaller group for you guys, right? And then you're just kind of walking around with Secret Service? Well, or not quite. Not quite. We okay. were with everyone else who was going through the tour, okay. like any sort of person off the street. Um, but it wasn't like overwhelming. It was you go room to room, everyone's going in the same route. So it's not super crowded, which was nice. And then again, the, they have workers in every room that tells you about the significance, the history of the room. 
the artwork. And so when they saw Kyle's friend who they know, it was like they'd come up to our group and kind of talk to us as opposed to, you know, just broadly talking in the room. But we learned a lot of interesting things. Like it's almost like a resort to where if the first family wants to use a fireplace in one of the rooms, they get charged five, eight dollars, whatever it is. So it was just kind of fun facts like that. It was pretty interesting. Now, the big question, and this is something that I think is maybe carried on a life of its own, but anyone who visits the White House, the big question is, did you steal anything? Did you snag? What? Yeah, that's uh, apparently that's what people do when you get these tours or you there visit or whatever. There's like like a matchbook or something or a candy. I feel like I, I didn't know, see like, anything that was like small enough and within okay. reach that I would have like been able to have sticky fingers with but no i did not steal anything if the u.s government is listening i <laughs> did not steal anything like a napkin or anything that had the white house on it a souvenir and i'm not not talking about a brochure or a tour guide or whatever but no. yeah just like you just kind of like no, we walked right past and... the the gift shop too okay no all right so no sticky fingers for danny nope just when it comes to food though Yes. Yes. I got to make sure Danny has her meals, three of them each and every day. All right, let's turn our attention to Cardinals football here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And the injury report for Wednesday is out. Some good, some bad. By the way, I like the fact when the Cardinals play these East Coast teams, we get the injury report earlier on Wednesday as opposed to waiting until like 4, 5, 6 o'clock at night. But the good news, Danny, is Kelvin Beecham is back. He did not practice late last week, did not play in the game. He was inactive. He was on the field and was limited. And, yeah, you're limited because he had his right hand heavily wrapped. I don't know if it was quite a cast or not, but it looked like one. Now, again, that's depth on the offensive line, which was lacking last week, so it's good to have Beach back on the football field. Absolutely. And just having him practice when – he didn't. I'm not even sure if he traveled, to be quite honest. He he might have, and I might have just missed him, but he obviously did not play. So just having him back so quickly and the fact that, yes, his right hand was wrapped, but he was still, from what we saw, participating in all the drills, it's a great sign. The not-so-great sign was the fact that two players did not practice. Defensive lineman L.J. Collier and inside linebacker Josh Woods, both starters on the defense. Collier has a biceps injury and Woods dealing with an ankle issue. Also, James Conner was limited with a calf injury. That's something to monitor this week because, well, he's your bell cow at running back, and you certainly don't want him to be limited in any capacity on game day. But getting back to the two defensive starters, Collier played the second most defensive snaps among D linemen, so that would limit or reduce the maybe the amount of rotation that we saw along the defensive line. And then Wood was on the field for 39 snaps, which was more than half the game. By the way, he only played 10 defensive snaps all of last season, so I know talking with him in the offseason, he was really excited about the opportunity here with the Cardinals, so you hope that the ankle injury is just a minor injury and if he does miss a game it's just one but if you don't have Woods on the football field Kaiser White who played the entire game at inside linebacker your next guy up is Chris Barnes who played 19 defensive snaps but we did see a lot of just one inside linebacker and that would be White with a defense that played a lot of five defensive backs utilizing Kayvon Wallace as a third safety. You would also have Owen Papo who's on the 53 but wasn't active and I'm, I'm not sure. I love the optimism in Josh Woods and the injury, but the fact that the Cardinals signed Tyreek Maddox-Williams, a linebacker to the practice squad, to have depth there makes makes me feel like it's not going to be a one-game injury for Woods. 
that hurts. LJ Collier, that really hurts if he's not able to play just because of the rotation we saw in the front seven, really, um, with the D linemen, the outside linebackers. So if you don't have Collier that who who has played well for this Cardinals throughout preseason camp, that first game, so that would hurt this defense. A good amount, I would think. You would have the ability to have Dante Stills active because he was another one of those rookies that was inactive on game day. So you'd still be able to keep that rotation as far as number of bodies. But you're right. You lose Collier. And again, we're talking here Wednesday. There's still plenty of time between now and Sunday. But that line of scrimmage is something that we were all impressed with, especially on the defensive side, that any one, let alone two players that you don't have, now all of a sudden is okay, what do you do? It's early in the season, but it's that next man up mentality. You hope you don't have to say that in week two. And you know this Giants team is going to run the ball. Daniel Jones has the ability to use his legs, and Saquon Barkley is healthy. He hasn't been healthy in the past. I know that the Giants are coming off an embarrassing 40 to nothing shutout in their home opener to the Cowboys. Your Cowboys. Your Cowboys, Craig. But Saquon Barkley is a menace when he's healthy, which he is. And the Giants are 2-10 and when Barkley plays and has fewer than 15 touches. And this is a player, I mean, defensive coordinator Nick Rollis was had a pretty good answer in his press conference Tuesday when, when I asked him about Barkley and Rollis saying that Barkley has great balance. He is not easy to tackle. And we've seen those legs. We see, you know, whenever... You know, the the camera guys pregame are getting close up of him and they are just right on his thighs, which are like tree trunks. But Barkley's able to find and create extra yardage that most running backs would not be able to. So when you don't have somebody like LJ Collier, who has played well on that defensive line, you're going to need your other players to really step up. It's something to monitor again. We talk here Wednesday and we'll see what happens as the week progresses. By the way, you talk about balance with running backs. And you pointed out a drill during the open portion of practice on Wednesday that I had not seen before, and I don't know what they call it or not, but it's basically, and I'm trying to paint the picture here on audio, but it's the running backs, and I'm guessing there was a hoop. It was so far away. I quite quite can't tell if there was a hoop or if there was just a, a something drawn in a circle or whatever, but they put their hand in the middle of this circle and then basically ran around the circle. And I think it was just one or one and a half times, but it was a little different, and my guess is it was to work on balance, if nothing else, but that would get me dizzy. Oh, I was saying that to you. One (laughs) circle, and I would be falling over. It's because your hand isn't moving. Your hand is staying in the ground, and you're moving your body in a circle around your hand. There are other drills where, where they have the pads on the ground, and they're basically rolling around on them, and... And that's not to say these drills don't have a purpose. It's just I kind of chuckle when I look, and it's always the running backs group where I think, huh, I've never seen that drill before. But it did today when I pointed that out to you in practice. I was thinking, oh, I could not. I could not do that drill. Like, I get so dizzy so easily. Yeah, put your hand down on the ground. Do not move it, and then try to move your feet around Fast. in a circle. Yeah, and, and exactly. It was, and holding a football. Yeah, uh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> and hold a football. So, yeah. Paint that picture and then see if you can do it and then get us get back to us here on Cardinals Cover 2. All right, speaking of the running backs, let's kind of focus before we talk defense because that was the bright spot on Sunday. But the night-so bright spot was the offense. And obviously when things don't go all offensively, everyone points to the quarterback in Josh Dobbs, who did address the media on Wednesday 
and two different times that I can recall, might be more than that, but mentioned it starts with me talking about the quarterback because, yeah, that's the head of the snake. Everything flows from what the quarterback does or does not do, and I think we're all anticipating and hoping, and there's an expectation amongst the coaches and maybe even Dobbs himself, that jump from week one to week two. We always hear it when players go from year one to year two, same when you're going within the season. The jump from week one to week two, I'm expecting a much more efficient offense and hopefully an offensive touchdown. And it's not just from week one to week two understanding the scheme a little better, but it's a whole extra week of practice with chemistry with your receivers, which wasn't there. Fair or not, it it wasn't there. I know Dobbs only had six practices. I'm pretty sure that's the same amount that Zach Ertz really had, like full practices coming off his ACL injury. But that connection wasn't there with the receivers, with Zach Ertz specifically. So that is something that can drastically change in a week. We also saw in the drills Dobbs working on getting the ball out faster. That was an issue that contributed some of the sacks, not just on the offensive line or the illegal man downfield. Dobbs was really hanging on to that ball. Those are things you can see from week to week. And I think it will be more drastic just because Dobbs is only entering his third week as a Cardinal to where you can still have, okay, that, you know, it's it's not the same if Kyler Murray, if those are issues in week one to week two, right? Who's been with this team, been with these players for so long. Dobbs, on the other hand, I really do think you can see significant changes in those aspects from week one to week two. And I agree with him. It does start with the quarterback. It, it does. And again, fair or not, this falls on him, not entirely on Dobbs, right? It wasn't a great game offensively as a whole, and they are in a peculiar situation of you brought in your now starting quarterback the day before your final preseason game. So it wasn't an easy situation to go into, and I am having grace towards that, but Josh Dobbs is right. It does start with him. Two weeks before week one, a full week of practice going into week one, and now another full week of practice going into week two. And Dobbs mentioned that the chemistry between him and the pass catchers, night and day different from last Wednesday to this Wednesday as far as getting on the same page. So perhaps you can spread the ball a little bit more amongst your wide receivers. Those players, and I'm just talking about three because that's basically who we saw on the field, Hollywood Brown, Rondell Moore, and Michael Wilson accounted for just 13 targets among the 30 pass attempts that Dobbs had. And... Zach Ertz and James Conner had combined, I would think off the top of my head, more than that, just the two of them. They had 15 between the two of them. And then two for McBride, so 17 plus 13 there as you get your 30. But yeah, I'd like to see the ball a little bit more balanced, especially, but again, week one, you're going to probably fall back on that safety blanket, which is the tight end position and the experience of Zach Ertz. But Hollywood Brown brings the element of speed. Michael Wilson has the height. Rondell Moore, speedster as well. And just a lot of talk about the lack of explosive plays. While you get the ball in the hands of Hollywood or Rondell, you're going to have a couple of explosive plays, maybe even more than a couple. Josh Dobbs had 21 completions. Of those, four lost yardage, one gained more than 15 yards, and only six gained at least 10. That's not all on Dobbs. But you're not going to win games. You're going to continue to not score points if you're not able to get the ball down the field. It's as simple as that. The defense played well enough against this team to win. The offense dropped the ball, in my opinion. 
Officially, though, there were no drops, but metaphorically speaking, yes, you're absolutely correct. Because you look at the plays that were made, the two longest plays, the 31-yard catch and run by Rondell Moore, the 29-yard end around by Hollywood Brown, and you mentioned it, no other play after those two gained more than 15 yards. There was only one deep throw that was completed, and that was the 15-yard catch to Michael Wilson. It was not a downfield passing attack and how much of that was the inexperience with his pass catchers with the brand new quarterback how much of that was the Washington defense in their front four to where okay it looked a lot like last season as far as the passing game is concerned I would hope that we do see a little bit more shots down the field in week two with Washington's defensive front you have to get the ball out quickly you have to be a little more horizontal and so that that obviously plays a factor in to what we were seeing from the offense. But, I mean, J.G. talked about it in his press conference Wednesday talking about explosive plays of the way the league is now, you're not going to consistently have drives with 10 or 11 plays. You have to have those explosive plays. You have to be able to create those and take advantage of what the defense is giving you, and that's not something we saw from the Cardinals' offense. And it's not going to be an easy next month with your opponents when you've got Giants, Cowboys, 49ers, and then I believe is Bengals. it Bengals or Bengals. Those are your next four defenses. You absolutely have to start creating explosive chunk plays. Gannon referred to those explosive plays as a winning stat. And again, it's getting that ball into the hands of your playmakers, whether it's a bubble screen or a quick slant or even a short pass that becomes a long gain. I would like to see the ball in the air a little bit more. There were not a lot of deep shots, as I mentioned. In fact, as you look at some of those analytical stats, Dobbs averaged only 3.3 air yards per attempt. And that is meaning the distance the ball travels through the air before it's caught. And 3.3 was tied for 18th best in the league. That needs that number needs to get better. Now, with a week, an extra week, could very well get better. And then you look at the Giants and their secondary. They start two rookie cornerbacks in Deontay Banks, a first-round selection, and Trey Hawkins, a sixth-round selection. They're very young in the secondary, so if that offensive line can give some time, pass protection, you might see Dobbs be able to hang in that pocket a little bit long, maybe use that five, seven-step drop, which he was not tasked to do against the commanders because of their front. But if you get Dobbs more time, survey the defense, go from one uh, progression to the next, I could see a much better passing attack from Dobbs on Sunday. No, I agree. I I don't feel like what we saw in week one is, oh, shoot, this is what we're going to see every week. Again, whether that is changing your scheme to scheme or, you know, making changes each week for your opponent. Also, like, Josh Dobbs has to get comfortable. I don't care what backup quarterback you bring in. Nobody's going to be able to come in off six practices and be able to play like you're a starting quarterback that's been with it, with that team for two or three years. So, and that's, look, not an excuse because the timing, you got to come in and you start winning games, and I understand that. My point being that I do think you are going to see changes in this offense. Again, you're going up a different defense than Washington. I thought the offensive line played well enough. I, I'm not sure quite yet of, I think I need to see another game or two of how much of that is strictly on 
the Cardinals offensive line play or again just the monsters you were facing on the line um but I thought that Paris Johnson looked really good in his first game I thought that the offensive line looked aggressive the team as a whole um but penalties have have to change I mean I was shocked when I heard 74 named with a penalty I'm thinking DJ Humphreys never has a penalty it was just the team as a whole and I think that's something too that really needs to be an area of focus this week the entire offensive line with the exception of Elijah Wilkinson was penalized at least once and the big one to me in the second half was the ineligible man downfield called against Will Hernandez which negated a nice chunk play pass play Dobbs to Jeff Swain, which would have given the ball the Washington 39-yard line, and who knows what would have happened in that. I had a chance to talk with Will earlier during open locker room, and that penalty was completely away from the play. It had nothing to do with that particular play, yet Will admitted, yeah, he was downfield because the guy he was blocking moved out of the way and Will stumbled, and all of a sudden now you find yourself downfield when you're not supposed to be downfield. So it's, un, it's it was an unfortunate situation, but again, it's not so it's not sometimes the number of penalties, but when the penalty occurs and what happens, what's the result? Well, you just wiped out a 16-yard gain and all of a sudden, I believe that was the same drive that was one of the Dobbs's fumbles, then all of a sudden you're like, "Okay, well, there's there's your ball game because you gave the ball back to your opponent." And on the other side, the ball the defense. Washington had a 91-yard scoring drive. 67 of those penalties by the Cardinals. Personal fouls, DPI. Look, def- defensive personal or pass interference is is going to happen. I'm not putting that one on Marco Wilson. But you're right. It's when these penalties are happening. And, and Washington didn't do anything special to get down the field. The Cardinals were just shooting themselves in the foot. And I like that this team, that defense specifically, is playing with a high motor. And they are playing with violence. And it really felt like the energy was different with this team. And I think it's better to be pretty hot and have to dial it back rather than the opposite. But you have to play smart. And and some of those penalties were just, I know it's a fast game. And those are those bang-bang penalties where you're having to make those decisions in the split second and lowering your helmet and how fast you know somebody moves and that can change and whatnot. But you have to play smarter. One other offensive note, and this is something that you brought up while we were out at practice. Would you like to share with the Bird Gang your perhaps analysis, your expectation, your prediction on what may take place Sunday when the Cardinals host the Giants and a particular player that is coming back to State Farm Stadium? Is this rude to say? I don't think so, but we'll let the Bird Gang be the judge of that. So no, to paint the very, picture, I thought it was very fair considering this person's you. past history. So we, Craig, to paint the picture, Craig and I are standing out at practice Wednesday, and I am looking at the tight ends, and they're working with the quarterbacks running routes, and I look at Craig and I say, with the exception of playing the Eagles for personal reasons, is this a matchup that Zach Ertz would be most excited for all season? And when I also told Darren, the both of you took a split second to think about what is she saying and realizing, oh, Isaiah Simmons is now with the New York Giants and we have seen how he has performed against tight ends and it hasn't always been super great. I know the Giants have listed Simmons as a linebacker, but then you were telling me that they listed some of his snap counts as a safety. So if Zach Ertz and Josh Dobbs can get on the same page and 
in his second game back, Ertz can really turn things up to the player we are used to seeing, I think that's a pretty favorable matchup for Zach Ertz and the Cardinals. See, I thought just it was because that Ertz historically has done well against the Giants. He has more touchdown receptions, seven, than against any other team in the league. I sure, thought that's, that's what, what I meant. you meant. You're right. That oh, is what I meant. Oh, the Isaiah Simmons factor, who, by the way, only played 15 defensive snaps, had one tackle in week one. Very curious on how much we see of Isaiah Simmons and in where do we see Isaiah Simmons with that Giants defense. 15 defensive snaps, 15 special team snaps for him in week one. Right, because he was traded just shortly before the the Cardinals got Josh Dobbs. So again, that's not a lot of time, but will be interesting to see how he's used and how the Cardinals are able to take advantage of that. Speaking of defense, how about the Cardinals defense a week ago? I asked what would be a pleasant surprise coming out of week one. And we were both in agreement that it would be the pass rush. And are you getting into the backfield? Are you affecting the quarterback? I think the Cardinals did an excellent job week one with six sacks, second most in the league. Your Cowboys finished with seven (laughs) against Daniel Jones, who, by the way, will be in town on Sunday. Talking about Jones, not the Cowboys. That's a week from Sunday. But the question now is, Danny, is six sacks sustainable? And uh, Before you answer, on the surface, no, you're not going to average six sacks a game. I get that. But pressures, knockdowns, hurries – Are you making that quarterback uncomfortable to the point where you're making mistakes and getting turnovers off those mistakes? It is doable. The Cardinals have shown that. The proof is in the pudding. They have shown that they can do that when it comes to a pass rush disruption, forcing turnovers. The reason I was hesitating was I'm trying to think of the full schedule. (laughs) Washington is not known for the most formidable offensive line, and their quarterback, Sam Howell, the week one opener was his second start. The, f- the first one was the final game of the previous season. So that's not an experienced quarterback. And so it's not to say that the Cardinals can't do it. They've, they've done it. They just did it this past week. Can they put up similar numbers when a lot of their other opponents have much stronger offensive lines and a much more experienced, higher-level quarterback who can get the ball out quickly, make those accurate throws, use their legs a little better, that's why I was hesitating. It's not to say that I, I don't think the Cardinals can do it, and you're right. It's not sustainable to expect those numbers every single week. However, I do think that we saw from the rotation it was an advantage for the Cardinals, where in the past you've been relying on a guy or two like a Chandler Jones or a Marcus Golden, and they don't have that. And it seemed the rotation outside with Zayvon Collins, Dennis Gardeck, a little bit of B.J. Ojolari, which I would expect you to see more of as the weeks go by, considering Ojolari was recovering from a knee injury and didn't have a true rookie offseason. Um, Victor Dimikaji looked nice. I mean, when you see that rotation paired with the rotation we talked about with the defensive line, it seemed pretty cohesive. And then you've got Kaiser White flying around the entire field. So I am feeling confident that this Cardinals defense, especially up front, can be a lot more disruptive than at least I was giving them credit for or expecting from them. Winning your one-on-one battles, regardless of the offensive line, yeah, I think that's very doable. But to your point about the quarterback and who the Cardinals are going to face now over the next several weeks, Daniel Jones, Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, Geno Smith, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. The Atlanta Falcons come to town on November 12th 
Desmond Ritter. That would be the next quarterback that I would put in the same category as a Sam Howell. You're not elite. You're okay. You're about average. And then after the Falcons, you've got the Houston game on the road, and that's a rookie quarterback in C.J. Stroud. So I think everyone understands that the level of competition at the quarterback position as far as experience, being able to get the ball out on time, know where that ball needs to go, I think you're going to see a much harder time for the Cardinals to get after the quarterback, at least on paper, versus what we saw in Week 1. I do think it would – I would imagine it helps – at least, though, of the confidence of we know we can do it because we've done it if you are the Cardinals defense, even though it's going to be a different matchup and the rest of the matchups are going to be more difficult. You know, have that confidence of we've done it before. Why can't we do it again? And the Cardinals were able to do something in week one that they did not do at I don't think much, if at all, last season. They were able to get to the quarterback without blitzing. And that was something that we know the Eagles did not blitz a lot last season. But you're talking about an Eagles defense versus a Cardinals defense. The thought process was the Cardinals, in order to get pressure, might have to manufacture some of that pressure, bring five, bring six. But next-gen stats after week one, Cardinals had the second-highest pressure rate, better than 51%, but the lowest blitz rate in the league at less than 8%. And looking back at that game and watching some of the highlights and rewatching the game, I c- can't remember or remember seeing a fifth guy or a sixth guy coming in and trying to affect the quarterback. If that if that blitz rate can remain low, it doesn't have to be the lowest in the league, but if that blitz rate can remain low, then yeah, this defense can be very, very good because if you're bringing four, That means seven are in coverage or in the middle of the field, which makes it much more difficult to complete a pass. And credit to the coaches, not just Jonathan Gannon, defensive coordinator Nick Rollis, your defensive line coach Derek LeBon, your outside linebackers coach Rob Rodriguez, who's getting the production out of Dennis Gardeck that we hadn't seen in previous years, who's getting that sort of production out of Zayvon Collins in his first game full-time outside, who's getting that production out of Victor DeMacagey, which we hadn't seen that's impressive as well, that you have a lot of players on this defense that are young or inexperienced, maybe not just in the league, but in the position change that they are now playing in. And to see that sort of production, kudos to the coaches on that as well. Yeah, they are. these players are getting coached up because Demu Keiji specifically was kind of lost in the shuffle last season. We didn't see or hear much from him, and he very quietly had it. I wouldn't say quietly, but he's not one of those guys that we – talk a lot about after week one. It was Dennis Gardeck, it was Zayvon Collins, but Dimu Keiji filled the stat sheet up. He played very, very well, and it's something to keep an eye on because he didn't do a whole heck of a lot a year ago at this time. Now I'll say this with respect to the Giants and their offensive line. Left tackle Andrew Thomas did not practice on Wednesday. He injured his hamstring in the game last week. There's some question on whether or not he'll be available this week because the Giants, after Sunday, stay on the West Coast, play the 49ers on Thursday, and you figure out maybe you rest one guy or if you're not quite 100%, some extra time off before that Thursday game. Facing Bosa. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, what do you want? Who do you want to face 
versus the Cardinals versus right. the 49ers. And that just might be something that is a decision that's out of Andrew Thomas's hands. But you look at what the Giants faced last week, or specifically Daniel Jones. Again, next-gen stats, Daniel Jones was pressured more than 67% of the time. I mean, he was running for his life darn near every single time he snapped the football. That, again, bodes well for the Cardinals going into this week's game. Right. However, Daniel Jones can use his legs. So yes. just because he gets outside the pocket, you can't you can't give him space to roam. You got to be able to contain him. Remember the how inter- uh, the how touchdown run he broke contain right. was able to run in for the score. So you have to make sure that you have your rushing lane secure, and that's something again to keep an eye on on Sunday. Cardinals and Giants. That game kicks off at one oh five eight thirty a.m. Pre-game coverage begins on the Arizona Cardinals radio network. Speaking of the defense and Dennis Gardeck, he was hard to stop on Sunday, yet you stopped him after practice sure on Wednesday. He was my sideline exchange interview this week. He's so fun. Um, also, it was pretty windy, so I would imagine his hair was like <laughs> flowing like Fabio's or something. Uh, no, he's a great interview, especially coming off the performance he had, this defense has had as a whole against Washington. So that'll be out Thursday on website, azcardinals.com, official YouTube channel. And did you hit the strobe? Yes, he made me hit the strobe. His celebration, which is not the first time he's made me do that. I should have known when I asked at the end of the interview. But I think I got better this time than I did in 2022 after he signed his contract extension when he uh, made me hit the strobe in the interview then. That's what we like to see, that <laughs> jump from year one to year exactly. two. It's not just the athletes on the field, it's Thanks, the athletes Craig. off the field. I appreciate the that. The sideline reporter. You you take a look at it when it's up and you let me know. Should grade it? Sure, you can Pro grade football it. focus grade? Should oh, give you gosh. a percentage? I don't know about that. Don't make me feel bad about myself. Yeah, those pro football focus grades. I some Again, the Cardinals offensive line didn't grade out well, yet at the same time, what did your eyes tell you? And that's kind of how I operate when I hear pro football focus grades I mean if it's a good grade all right I'll use it Keytrail Clark graded out very well week one not so good of a grade yeah well you know what did I see it's just yeah yeah yeah. that's that's kind of how I operate (laughs) one other thing to promote here and that is folktales episode one of this season It comes out on September 14th on the Arizona Cardinals YouTube channel. It is titled Common Threads. It is talking about the uniforms, not the most recent edition of the Cardinals uniforms, but going back in time and looking back at the history of the Cardinals uniforms going all the way back. That's right, all the way back to Chicago and how the franchise first started again. That is Episode 1. Common Threads, Folktales, premiering on September 14th on the Arizona Cardinals YouTube channel. Check it out there as well. And, of course, stay tuned and look forward to Danny Sarek dancing with Dennis Gardeck. Yeah, it'll be a sight to see, that's for sure. (laughs) More sights to see as well coming up on Sunday, Cardinals and Giants. And, of course, we'll break it all down with Danny next Wednesday. Can't wait, Craig. I can't wait either. On that note, we'll put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Danny Sarek, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.